Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. those that were curious about vacation, I went to something called Gen Con, which is a giant gaming convention that's been around for, I don't know, 50 years or something like that. Um, in 20, they canceled it in 2020. In 20, I've never been before. In 2019, this is a convention in Indianapolis. In 2019, the convention ran, you ready for this, 100,000 people. Charleston is 50,000 people. <laughs> it, can you imagine a convention that is twice the size of our biggest city in West Virginia? That amazes me. They only had, they only had a third of that this year, so it was still like 35,000 people. That's still bigger than every city in, in West Virginia except for Charleston. I, I, my, it's hard to, I have trouble getting my brain around these numbers. Um, uh, the, the, I, the thing that I can't get, what kind of planning does that take to, to organize something like that? Uh, success in anything like that, success in any project, planning anything takes preparation. Uh, in fact, the amount of preparation time you spend, I think, is directly proportional to the success that you have in any kind of endeavor. Uh, if you are going to, anybody that did school, I know that some people, school went easier than for others, but still, study time correlated to your grades, by and large. Um, even, even if you were a good student and it came easy, you still, the, the tests that you did better on, you studied more for than this study. You know, yes, some people had to study three hours and some studied an hour, but if your average study time was an hour, only five minutes, you didn't do as good as on the tests as you did if you put an hour in it. If your average study time was three hours, an hour didn't do as good as the, as the three hours. Uh, athletes, the amount of time that they spend in weightlifting and running and preparation prepared them for the sports seasons. Musicians, practice, whether you're intrinsically musically inclined or not, practice time still makes a difference. Farmers, Absolutely, the amount of time that they spend preparing for, for planting and harvest makes a difference. So what about us as, as Christians? Does it not make a difference that the amount of time that we prepare for our job as Christians, let's call it a job, uh, Peter describes it as a race, it's also described as a harvest, uh, a crop and, and preparation. Everything that we do as a Christian, we can't treat it like a spectator sport. We have to put time into it. Um, so we're, we find ourselves in First Peter chapter one today. First uh, Peter chapter one, verse thirteen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Christians must prepare to be holy. It is neither, holiness is neither incidental nor is it accidental. Uh, it is essential. It is intentional. Christians live holy lives not because it's something that just accidentally happens, but because we set our minds on it, we set our hearts on it, we, we direct our will towards it, and we put effort into it. Um, we plan to be holy. The danger of the church of the 21st century is that we have, we, we've gotten rid of the language of holiness. We, we either treat it like it's something that these, these Catholic saints are, you know, Mother Teresa, and then we're done, or, uh, or it's ancient language and we don't use that word anymore, uh, or we just get rid of the language. Yeah, we just get rid of it. Peter says that preparing our minds for action is related to setting our hope on the grace that will be given us when we face Jesus face to face. Peter says we put effort into being holy. And I think too many Christians, and we've been talking about this all year, too many Christians run away from the word holy because we don't understand what it is. We think it's too hard. We think it's just maybe the preachers or preachers and elders or something like that. But we are all called to be holy. And I think that because the word scares us, we don't know what goes into it. We are called to prepare our minds for action by focusing on what's coming up, by focusing on the future, uh, and the future promise, and, and we focus on what's ahead of us rather than what we're going through right now. And maybe that's our problem. Um, good decisions are made when we plan for the future, not wait till we're in that crisis. We should, in school, um, we should decide that we, we're not going to cheat on our tests, and we shouldn't decide that when we're presented with the opportunity. We should have made that decision before we got thrown into that mess, Holiness is something that we plan for, not wait until that minute. We don't concentrate on our current crisis. Boy, that applies if ever. Currently, our world is in such a crisis mess. We should decide upon what we're aiming for and not look at what we're just in. If we only make our decisions based upon what we're going through in the moment, we have situational ethics. Our decisions aren't based upon our long-term goals. They're just based upon what we feel like right now. But the Christian plans long-term. That's what Peter's telling us to do. We set our minds on holiness. We prepare for the judgment that will come. Prepare our minds so that we have his mind. Prepare our thoughts to have his thoughts. And when our thoughts become his thoughts, and they don't look like human thoughts anymore, they will be different, and I want to look at Peter. Peter goes into that specifically on what, what godly thoughts, Christ-like thoughts look like. So look with me at verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, 
you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Our thoughts, Peter says, are, are, are peculiar. And, that, and we as Christians are not offended by that. Uh, that, that. That's not an offensive phrase. They are peculiar. They should be peculiar compared to the rest of the world. The world should say, you guys don't think the way we do. You don't do things the way, do, the way that we do. Uh, even the way that you think, your priorities and, and the conclusions that you make are not the way that we think, and that's a good thing. We don't want to think like the world. We want to think like God does, and that will be peculiar. Peter says that we are to live our lives as strangers in this world, foreigners, aliens, pilgrims in a foreign land. There is a danger when we fall in love with the world because this isn't our home. We don't want to be in love with this world. We don't want to fall in love with the things of this world. Um, that doesn't... That doesn't mean that we can't be happy with things that come our way. That doesn't mean that we don't find joy in, in the things around us. I don't know if you guys, you take certain things for granted. I can't help but wonder if, if you guys that have lived in West Virginia all your life take for granted the amazing scenery. I don't know. Um, when I just, just a drive to Buchanan is gorgeous to me. It's just so beautiful, especially the days when the clouds are up in the mountains a little bit. You can't see the tops, but you can see it. Or to me, I just it, six years in, and it still just takes my breath away. I confession, I find the Midwest depressing. I just find the great. I just find the Great Plains to be very plain. Now, maybe, maybe. If you guys drive through the Midwest, maybe you would say, wow, you can see the horizon in every direction. There are places you can see the, the horizon. You just stand and turn around, and it's nothing but horizon. And maybe that would have this stark, windswept beauty. Not to me, having grown up there. But, but maybe you feel that. Maybe you look around and think, oh, mountains again. We just see this all the time. To me, but... That doesn't, what I'm saying, when we are, there are joys in this life. It's true. And God gives us amazing joys. And, and, and we should have happiness. Uh, when, when we're right with God, there are things that make us happy. But this world is not our home. And these are not the things that sustain us. It's this hope that we set for the future. That for all the fun things that are out there, whether it's driving through the mountainside or sitting in a coffee shop, reading a comic book, or whatever your joy is. These things will pass. Our true joy is what's coming. And while we have happiness, we realize that these are temporary. Our true joy is what's coming. And these thoughts are alien to the world. Our, Our world around us takes its happiness from the temporary things. And we can take some happiness in temporary things, but we have an eternal happiness that's coming, and that changes our thoughts, and it changes the way that we think. Satan is the prince of this world, and knowing that, we know that we can't take permanent happiness from what is around us. All, all of the gifts from God in this world are temporary. The one thing that lasts is our relationship with him. And that gives us eternal joy. Home... Home is where the heart is, so let's be careful with what our heart sees as our home. When this world becomes our home, there's a danger. 
that we focus on the temporary too much. Our home is with God, and our heart is with him. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's our home. And so we are out of step with this world. This world says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. This world says, you only live once, so grab all the gusto that you can. This world says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But the one who dies with the most toys dies. Whether you eat, drink, and be merry, or don't, you still die tomorrow. Um, we want to make we want to make this life count. That doesn't ma- that doesn't mean that anything that we do has no meaning. Just the opposite. Everything that has meaning, but not in this world because this world is meaningless. It's the next one that matters. It's that relationship with God for eternity that matters. So what we do does matter because it looks long term. We live in holiness now because we're building towards eternity, and that should make us alien and peculiar because we have different goals. And if it doesn't make us alien and peculiar to the world, we're probably doing it wrong. If people can't see us as different, then maybe Christ hasn't made that change in our lives that we want him to have made in our lives. Um, If if the world can't see us as different, then we have to ask that question, are, are we different? It begins in our thoughts. Our thoughts should be peculiar. They're Christ focused. And that makes a difference. So I want to keep reading. Verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. When our thoughts become his thoughts, our relationships become more godly, more Christ-like, Our passions, our love for other people become more godly. That starts with the thoughts and it moves to our relationships. We have sincere love for one another. The the word for sincere here, the Greek word is onhypokritos. And if that sounds vaguely nagging, unhypocritical. Literally, onhypokritos, unhypocritical. That's what, not insincere, not, not deceitful, not fake, not not phony, not for show, it's authentic. And I don't know that our world entirely gets that. Our world is terribly shallow, terribly insincere. True love is alien to our world. I, I, I believe that um, in the past number of years, people will put, I, again, I, I do a little of this social media, a little bit of Facebook, a little bit of, of Twitter, and the number of people that will put in their bios um, that, that love, like love trumps hate, and then they'll say some of the most hateful things ever to anybody that disagrees with them. And I think, you, you don't even, uh, hypocritical. Um, we, we, we don't, our world doesn't, our world thinks that you should love the people that agree with you and, and hate the people that disagree with you, and somehow that makes them loving. 
Um, I've had people try to ex- explain to me that it's okay to hate other people that disagree with you because it doesn't count. And, I don't un- and, and, and then pat themselves on the back and say, look at how loving I am. Our world doesn't get love. The Christian loves everyone because God loves everyone. Even, even evil people? Yes, because God loves evil people. Look at the people that God saves. Look at the people that God offers to. Paul Back when he was Saul, was a bounty hunter that tracked down God's people, God's elect Christians, and threw them in prison. Did God love Saul? He did. God loves everybody. Think of the most evil people on earth. God loves. He hates what they're doing, but he loves them, and he wants them to change and to be transformed and, 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 and to be saved and to become Christ-like. But our world doesn't get that, and our world just wants to see people that they disagree with thrown in prison, silenced, gotten rid of. People love today when it's convenient, when it takes no effort. I have a friend of mine. I will give this friend of mine this. He, he is at least a very honest person because he couldn't be much more different from me. In every, he, He's not just atheist. He's, he's almost anti-Christian. Why is he a friend? Well, because in his selfishness, he has said that he loves his friends and he hates everybody that isn't his friend. Um, and that he is good to the people that are good to him, and his goal is to be not good to the people that are not good to him. And, it, and, and frankly, at least he's honest about this. I mean, that's the one thing I think I kind of like about this guy. He says, be good to the people that are good to you, and be mean to the people that are mean to you. And since we have the same circle of friends, he's always been good to me. But the Christ-like attitude, and, and, and our world believes that, they just don't say it. The Christ-like attitude is, is turn the other cheek, is to go the extra mile for those that, that force it upon you. The, the, the Christian says, um, uh, be good to your enemies, the people that have been terrible. And, and that's where even I as a Christian struggle. It is human nature to say, if you've been mean to me, I will return it back to you. That's just human nature, and our world says that that's, that's an amazing thing, is that that's just what we should do. And it's hard to be Christ-like and say, if you've been mean to me, I will be nice to you. These are alien thoughts to the world, and it's a struggle as a Christian. But when my mind is with Christ, I, I passionately love, not just reluctantly, but passionately learn to love those who hate me. I struggle with this. Um, lo- loving everybody is alien. But as a Christian, it's what I'm called to do. We have heartfelt love for one another. Uh, in, in Greek, in the ancient Greek world, we, we get that thoughts are electrical impulses. God made, made us this way, that our thoughts are made up here in our head. Um, uh, to, but in the Greek culture, um, and, and, and we then, the heart is the symbol of emotion. In the ancient world, it didn't work that way. Their thoughts, they thought, came from their heart. Um, and their emotions, because you get butterflies in your stomach, their emotions came from, from further down. Uh, that makes some sense to me. To love from the heart, when the Bible says love from the heart, they weren't talking about being emotional. They were talking about that as the seat of, of will, of volition, of choice. Uh, we, we treat love as an accident. You fall in love like, oh, I couldn't help it. I fell in a puddle and I fell in love. But that's not how the ancients thought of it, and I think that they're closer to that. Love is a choice. We choose who to love. It's not an accident. Uh, in Luke chapter 5, there, there's that story about the paralytic who 
wants to see Jesus, but his friends can't get him there. So they climb up on the roof, and they make the hole in the roof, and they lower him down to Jesus. Do you remember that, that story? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and the Pharisees watching this in their hearts thought, and that's interesting, we would say in your minds, but they said in their hearts they thought, who is this guy to forgive sins? And, the, and, and Jesus says in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 5, uh, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Uh, so, again, throughout the Bible, we see that the heart is not something that falls in love like an accident. It's not like, oh, you know, I, I, I want to like this person, but in my heart I don't really like him, so... The Bible always says that the heart is under our control. It's the seat of our will. Uh, it, it, it doesn't control us, but we control it. The heart wasn't about emotions, but volition. And we have to be the same. We control our thoughts. Regard, whether, whether, whether we say that our thoughts come from our hearts or our heads, we control our thoughts. They are, they are ours to control. Uh, and if we want them to be his thoughts, if we want our hearts to be his heart, we tell our hearts what to do to be Christ-like, passionately and interjected, energetically directed to his will. We are not on autopilot. Uh, to follow Christ is, is to choose to let him be in control, and we give that control to him. Chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When we have God's mind, when we think his thoughts, we will see his world the way that he sees it, and not this human, broken, imperfect way that we do. We will see people as he sees them, as we've said, loving people, regardless of how they feel towards us. We will love people as, as he does, and we will learn to hate sin as he does. And honestly, only, I, I think we all struggle with this, but I know that I struggle with this. If anything, it's sometimes the opposite. Sometimes I don't love people the way he does, and sometimes I struggle to hate sin the way that he does. Um, I can be too hateful to people that Jesus died for, and I can be too tolerant of sin in my own life, certainly, that Jesus hated so much that he died for. Um, I can turn too much of a blind eye to sin that separates me from God. Peter says that we should have contempt for wickedness. And he goes, and he goes into a little bit of detail on what we mean by that deceit, that, that desire to fool other people, um, to, say, to say one thing but to do something else. An uh, impure motive in our life, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is how deceit plays out. Uh, when when I act one way with one person and one way with another, uh, an impure uh, in an impure action is what hypocrisy is. Envy, envy especially rears its head when I am jealous of how non Christians live. Uh, when when like. David, I get frustrated that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, and I wish that I was among the wicked. Um, those are impure desires on my part. Slander is when I speak words that are not Christ-like. 
uh, and have impure speech. And so Paul says, rid ourselves of these and crave pure spiritual milk. Now, let's go back to the ancient world. We are fortunate today, in today's day and age, that you can go to Walmart, Kroger's, Schnucks, pick your, pick your store. Do we have a Schnucks around here? I don't know that I, we don't have those. Do you guys even know what that is? All right, that's a Midwest store. I'm from the Midwest. They're everywhere. <laughs> um, uh, uh, we, we have the freedom that we can go to the, to the stores and we can buy whatever we want for health food. Um, you, we can, you, can go to, you can do all your grocery shopping at the Dollar Tree and get a fair amount of, of healthy food there if you want to. Um, if, you're, if you're trying to like do more, what a day and age. We figured out how to milk almonds you can buy almond milk. Isn't that amazing? How many almonds does it take to make almond milk? It boggles my mind. You can buy that stuff for a buck at the Dollar Tree. What a miraculous day and age that we live in when you can buy this kind of stuff. Now go back to the ancient world. when They didn't have any of this. Milk was a big deal back then. Uh, and, and in a day when they didn't have the nutritional knowledge that we have, you can buy protein shakes today. Uh, you, you, you can buy all these, th- these healthy things to try to, you know, if you're not getting enough protein in your life, you can buy protein shakes. If you're not getting enough, you know, we've had missionaries come that say that they, that they make sure doctors in other countries will give out prescriptions to peanut butter just to get people enough protein in their life because it's reasonably cheap. Um, you, somebody pointed out, we treat vanilla as bland. 400, 500 years ago, that was one of the most expensive uh, ingredients on earth because it, it's hard to grow and it's hard to harvest and it's, and, it, and it's difficult to get hold of and now it's synonymous with bland. What a spoiled generation that we are. In the ancient world, milk was a big deal. Uh, for nutrition, milk was huge and so these days we might kind of blow it off and say, oh, I don't like milk that much, I'll, I'll drink something different. Back then, milk was huge. And so when Peter says crave Crave that, that pure spiritual milk. We're talking about purity, uh, something that was healthy and wholesome. The problem of our modern church is that we have become, I feel, not, not this congregation, I pray, but the church at large, certainly in the United States, has become very corrupted by the world. There are too many churches, too many Christians, that want to look attractive to the world and they don't care. Whether or not they're biblical. They don't care what God thinks. They care what the world thinks. They, they care about the, the, the dog and pony show. They care about what they look like. Show, you know, can, can they look attractive to the world? Can we, can we bring people in? But what, what we win them with is what we win them to. And that's an important thing to remember. They only care about whether or not the world likes them. But I don't care if the world likes me. I care if God likes me. It, if we think like Jesus, and when we think his thoughts, we will want what he wants. And I'm not sure that we're out to win a popularity contest with the world. I don't care if sinners like what we're up to. I care if God likes what we're up to. That doesn't mean I don't want sinners here. But I don't want a bait-and-switch thing. I want sinners to know what the Bible says. And this is a stumbling block to people. And knowing that it's a stumbling block to people, we're not going to win everybody. I, 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 I would love it if... if if, if our doors were, were full of people, people came through the doors and the walls were full of people that wanted to hear the gospel. But at the end of the day, our, our number one concern is, is God pleased with what we're doing? And if the world hates us, that's okay. They hated Peter. 
and they hated Jesus, and they hated the apostles. Uh, I just want God to be pleased with what we're doing. Too many churches really only care these days if the world likes them. Does God like what we're doing? When we think like Jesus, we'll want what he wants. The modern church has become very junk food oriented. Very, very lack of nutrition, lack of, lack of what helps people grow and become more Christ-like. It just tickles their ears, tickles the taste buds. They dumb it down. An emphasis on consumerism, an emphasis on, um, uh, uh, on an audience. People that show up, they listen for an hour, they go home, that's, that's it. That's not Christianity. Christianity isn't spectator sport. Christianity takes some effort on our part. Our faith needs to have substance. Uh, does your faith have substance? Not, not does the church have substance, not does the preacher or the elders have substance. Does your faith have substance? We can't ride on anyone else's spirituality. Each of us must have our own faith, our own active relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And yeah, that takes effort. Uh, fitness can't be watched, right? Watching, watching someone weightlift doesn't make you stronger. Watching someone else spiritually grow doesn't make you more healthy. It has to be practiced. So our hymn of decision today is hymn number 395. Let me say, prepare your mind. Peter says, prepare your minds for action. It's not the same thing in sitting back and watching, is it? And that begs the question, what is the action we are called to have? Be holy. Be holy. Prepare, prepare yourself for holiness. Peter wrote that we are to be holy just as Jesus is. We are to live like we are God's, like we belong to God, because Jesus did that. And we are to be Christ-like. Uh, Jesus showed in his life what it meant to be Christ-like, to belong to God, and that call is for us. We are called to be holy, and it doesn't come easy. Uh, Jesus says, the, the way, small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it. He says, take up your cross. That doesn't imply a spectator sport. The victory is ours. The good news is, if you do these things, you will get to the end. We don't, we don't have to worry about Jesus abandoning us. We just have to worry about us laying down our cross. Jesus never abandons us, but we do save the course. Our faith isn't spectator. It starts, it starts in our thoughts. We give our thoughts to him. He transforms us, and that's the question today. Have we given our lives, have we given our hearts, our thoughts to him? That's the call. If you haven't done that, I'd like to talk with you today after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.